Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Again, I want to stem, extend my welcome to you if you're a visitor here this morning. My name is Wes McKay, and I'm the senior pastor here and one of the elders here. And I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us this morning. You're here on a momentous occasion if you're a visitor. You've missed a lot, uh, but we are done with the book of Exodus. Yes, so now on to Leviticus. So, right? But uh, yeah, we are excited. It has been a great study. I think a great study for us as we've seen how the Lord works uh, through His people in saving them, redeeming them, and also being present with them. And hopefully that's what we'll get out of today when we look at Exodus 39, 32 through the end of 40. And so, but before we dive in and uh, look at these verses, I just want to offer up a prayer of, of, to God to help us in our our time together in His Word. And I also want to welcome Josh Greenback, our missionary that we send off to the Arizona Diamondbacks every year. And so uh, that he is a missionary there in that organization. And he'll, be, he'll be, be, be playing ball this season in Guadalajara. Did I say that right? Sounds right? Uh, and, uh, in Guadalajara, Mexico. And so if you'll be in prayer for him as he, we send him out as our, again, one of our missionaries to, uh, to a very unique place uh, to be witnesses, what we learned about this morning in Acts 1-8, in all Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so that is our hope here. And that is our mission here at Crosspoint, is that we exist to make disciples of all nations for the good of all people and for the glory of God. That's why we do everything we do here. That's why we preach the word. That's why we pray together. That's why we do Sunday school. That's why we do all these things, is that we exist as Crosspoint Baptist Church to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Because we believe that we have the greatest news in our minds and hearts that God has given us in the gospel. And that that is what the world desperately needs, is the good news of Christ. And so hopefully we'll see that this morning in our text today. If you would join me in prayer. God, we need your help. We are needy, weak sinners, God, who have been marred by sin in our minds and hearts. And so we need your spirit to, that indwells in us to guide us and sharpen us through your word this morning. God, we come into this room with lots of our own baggage from this week, lots of heartaches, wounds, and sorrows, maybe even joys, God. And so we bring them and offer them to you on your altar here. That God, that Lord, we want to give you everything because you are our king, Lord. And that we want to be in service to you. And so, God, I pray this morning as we put our eyes on the text of Scripture that we know and believe that this is your whole counsel that you've given us, O oh God, as Acts 20 says. That we believe that what, what Paul tells us, that in 2 Timothy 3, that these are your words that you have breathed out for us, and it's good for us, God. And so I pray, examine us this morning. Convict us of sin. And let us set our eyes on the rock of our salvation, Christ Jesus. It's in his name we pray these things. Amen. I wanna, want you to think about something for a second. You know, when I go back home in dry prong, there's not much development go, going on in dry prong. There's, people aren't running to dry prong to, to move there. Uh, but we live in a different city. We live in Baton Rouge that lots of people are always moving in. There's all, always development happening here, Right? You're always seeing a big plot of land and then a big pile of dirt and then months, maybe years later, you see a big uh, apartment complex or a big uh, neighborhood that's being built. And you can kind of watch that with your eyes, right? You can watch how a pile of dirt on a plot of land can 
develop so much into one day you see a home there with a family sitting at the table eating together. And it's just kind of amazing to see that development. And that's what we've seen so far in Exodus, particularly the chapters where the tabernacle has been talked about. And that's where we're ending today, is that we studied the tabernacle instructions where God tells them how to build, what to build with, who's to build it, and things like that. And uh, we saw the instructions that were given there. And then we saw, as we read this morning, as Adam read for us, the construction of all that, how it's set up and it's, it's been prepared and put together. And now finally, in the end, we'll see the finish of the tabernacle, right? How it's all completed and now God's presence dwells with His people in the tabernacle. And so there's two points that I want us to bring out today in these verses is that the tabernacle is finished and the tabernacle is filled. That's the two points I want us to get across from our text today. And ultimately that we can see here a couple of points for us that God, through Israel's obedience, meticulous obedience in fact, has finished and filled the place where he will dwell among his people. And so let's look at this. The tabernacle is finished. And just starting the first verses in into verse verses of 39, chapter 39, verse 32, where we get that all the work has been finished of the tabernacle, and there's this kind of final look over inspection. Now, if you've bought a home or you've built a home before, we all know we have to go through a what? A final inspection, right? Where somebody comes in, the inspector looks over everything, checks everything, gets up in the attic, looks over, okay, it looks like it's, like it's up to code, right? Everything is, is as it should be. Just a final glance and look over to make sure that there's nothing that stands out that's been constructed wrong or in the wrong place or anything like that, right? That everything is up to par. And this is what's going on here in the end of Exodus 39. Look at this, just read these verses. Thus, verse 32 of chapter 39, all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished, and the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did. Then they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent, the utensils, and so on and so on. So there, they've built the t all the things for the tabernacle. We read all that starting in chapter 25. The, the veils and the poles and the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant and all these things. And they're bringing it to Moses to do what? To look it over. Have we, have we done it like the Lord told you? Has it been built to, to code like you've instructed us? And so Moses is doing a final inspection because this is the place that God said he is going to dwell with them. And so it's important that they did it according to what the Lord said. This is what the Lord told them in Exodus 25, verse 8. that And let them make a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. So we all know how it'd be bad if they built our house wrong, right? If they didn't put a bathroom on the first floor and it was on the second floor or whatever. We, we want to make sure that we inspect that and that it's correct. And so this is what Moses is doing because it's very important that they get this right. Because this is where the Lord will dwell with them. So he's doing the look over over everything. They're bringing it to him. He's passing it through his eyes to make sure it's all correct. And a similar thing has already occurred in the Bible like this. If you want to think about this, is that the Lord does a similar thing in Genesis 1 and 2. Is that he makes all these things, all creation, and he looks over it and he says, what? It is what? It is what? Good. It is good. He does an inspection of his own creation, right? 
The completion of the tabernacle is parallel to the completion of the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1 and 2. And interestingly, both are places where God will dwell with his people, right? Both are places. It's interesting, if you want to put your eyes on some of these, you're welcome to, but the same language is used of the finishing of the tabernacle for the finishing of creation in Genesis 1 and 2. In Genesis 2, 1 through 2, it says the Lord finished his work. Just what it says of Moses, that he finished his work. In Genesis 1, 31, it says that God saw all the work that was done. Similarly, it says that Moses saw all the work that was done here. And lastly, at the end of this, in verse 43 of chapter 39, it says that Moses blessed them. You remember when God got done with creating in Genesis 1 and 2, what did he do to his creation, to the last day? He what? He blessed it. So what is going on here in the tabernacle, the completion of the tabernacle, is what God did in Genesis 1 and 2 with his creation. So this tabernacle is a place where God is going to dwell with his people like he did in Genesis 1 through 2. And let's just stop there for a second and think about this. After the end of presenting what they had done and building all these things for the tabernacle, it says that Moses blessed the people for their work. Why would Moses bless them, right? He blesses them. Well, because they've been diligent and meticulous to do everything that was commanded of them. Just look at this verse 32 again. That the people did according to all that the Lord had commanded. If you look in chapter 40, put your eyes on this. Verse 16, they did according to all that the Lord commanded. Verse 19, all that the Lord had commanded. Verse 21, all that the Lord had commanded. Verse 23, all that the Lord had commanded. Guess what it says in verse 25? All that the Lord commanded. Guess what it says in verse 27? All that the Lord commanded. Good job, Elliot. What does it say in verse 29? All, children, thank you. Thank you, children. And then in verse 32, all that the Lord commanded. They're meticulous in their obedience, right? Is that they do everything what the Lord instructed them to do. And so Moses blesses them for their work. Right? It's his stamp of approval. They've passed inspection because they've done everything that the Lord commanded. And this is, this is some per, pretty like, meticulous instructions. If you remember, that they have to make it with a certain kind of you know, uh, yarn and stuff like that. There's certain shapes that have to be made. Like This isn't just easy, right? And I think we would all agree that when we're given excessive, meticulous instructions, what, is so, what are we so prone to do? Cut corners, right? Cut corners and maybe not do it all the way like it's asked. Maybe, hey, let's, this not the, that's not the easiest way. Let's do it the easiest way, right? But no, they don't skimp. They're not minimal or partial in what they do. They do all that the Lord commanded them to do. They do not skimp in the Lord's instructions. And so Moses blesses them which is very interesting than what we've seen in Exodus so far. In Exodus 32, one author writes it like this. In Exodus 32, Moses is blasting Israel, right? And in Exodus 40, Moses is blessing Israel. 
If you remember Exodus 32, Moses comes off the mountain and he's so angry because they've constructed something that they were, were not supposed to construct. A golden what? But now they've constructed something they were supposed to construct, the tabernacle, and Moses blesses them. They've gone from being blasted to blessed, right? Because they've obeyed the Lord. And that Moses inspects all the work. He sees it all and he says, it is good. And he blesses them. They've gone through the inspection process. They've put all their work before God and before Moses. And they've gotten the stamp of approval. Church, I want you to hear me when I say this really quick. Is that this inspection process that Israel has to go through with the work that they have done is an inspection process that we will all have to go through on Judgment Day. Let me warn you in this. As a pastor who loves you and cares for you, you need to prepare yourself for inspection day when you stand before the Lord. Because He will inspect all of us and He will inspect all of our works to see what we have done in this world. Not for salvation purposes. Don't hear me about that. I'm not saying you can be saved by works. But because you have been saved, your works will be inspected of what you've done on here. This word. Let me just read to you a couple of verses 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10 says, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15 says the same thing. Paul says, look, God's going to know what you built with and how you built on judgment day. He's going to know whether you built with straw and stubble. He's going to know, and he's going to expose it. Jesus says a very similar thing. Matthew 12, 36 and 37. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Every single thing will be inspected, church, when you stand before the Lord. Everything that you think may be insignificant in your life, even every single word, let me just say this, every word will be inspected in what we say here on this earth. Doesn't? I hope that resonates with you. That what you do in this life, that you might think is insignificant or unimportant to God, it will be seen by the Lord. You know, many of you have probably, have probably traveled abroad, have flown, and you know that most exposing piece of flying is this. You've got to go through the x-ray machine, Right? you got to put your hands up like this and stand like this. Everybody's done it before, right? And before you get to that x-ray machine, what do you got to do? Thank you, children. you got to take everything out of your pockets. And they ask you, have you removed everything out of your pockets? Have you removed everything out of your pockets? And then you still go through and you're like, oh, man, I forgot I didn't take my keys out of my pocket, right? But they want you to put everything in the bin. Put it through, right? Take everything. Take your shoes off. Take your belt off. Take everything. Right? Because in that x-ray machine, everything will be exposed. We will see everything that you have. So take it off now. And church, let me say this. On judgment day, everything will be exposed. You will be laid bare before the eyes of the Lord, what Hebrews 4.13 says. So lay it all aside. Every sin that you so hold cling to, as Hebrews 12 says, put it aside because one day you will step into the x-ray of God's vision, and you will have to give an account for everything that you have not laid aside. We will be inspected, church. We will go through the x-ray machine.
And so I would just challenge you right now. This was my prayer this morning for myself. Examine yourself. Do introspection. Do you ask yourself that in your prayer life? God, show me. Show me if there's something that I'm holding on to that I have not presented before you for inspection. Because you don't want to do that on judgment day. Test yourself to see whether you're in the faith. This is what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. It says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you unless you have failed to meet the test. Every morning, are you asking yourself, God, show me, reveal to me. Is there sin that I so grasp and hold on to that I have not laid before the Lord? Because God, if I do not do so in this life, it will be laid bare before you. God, help me to put it to death now. This morning and every single morning, church body, let me tell you how you can prepare yourself for judgment day. Let me tell you how you can prepare yourself by going through God's x-ray vision. It's this, examine yourselves and put sin to death. Even the sin that you think that nobody can see, that nobody will be able to inspect about you. Even your closest friends and accountability partners may not be able to see. Guess what? Their vision may fail. Their inspection may not pass. But guess what? God will see everything and does see everything. Every single word. Maybe if we think about it like that, that every single word will be inspected, that would probably change the way we speak, right? To know that what I'm about to say God will hold me to account for every single word. I think if we thought more like that, we'd be more careful with how we speak to other people. Would we not? To know that even the smallest of words will be held, we will be held to account for. And church, let me warn you on this. Israel was given very meticulous details about how to build this tabernacle. And they did not cut corners. They did not skimp. They did not do it halfway or almost. And let me just warn us about this. There are no categories for cutting corners or skimping or going halfway or almost when it comes to obedience. What is that phrase that almost is only good for what? Horseshoes and hand grenades? Is that right? Oh, so close, right? Let me just say this. That's not how it works with obedience in the Lord's eyes. Ah, it was halfway, Lord. I, well, I, I did partial, right? Don't I get half? We all want half credit in the teacher's eyes, right? I, I did, don't I get half credit? It's not how it works with obedience. There is no halfway obedience. There is no partial obedience. There's only two categories, disobedience and obedience. Let me ask you this this morning, church. Are you being fully, completely obedient to the Lord? Because if you're not, then it is disobedience. That's what it is. Do not skimp on the Lord's instructions and commands. And so the tabernacle is, the structure's finished, right? He's finished it. Moses has done all the work. Israel's, Israel's put forth their work before him. It's been inspected by Moses. Though, though the tabernacle is finished, it is not ready. And let me clarify that for us. This is point number two. The tabernacle is filled. 
You know, a house, your house can be built. You can have all the furniture put in there. Looks all nice. You got the frames up on the wall. Everything looks great. Man, the structure is finished. Got paint everywhere. It looks awesome. But there's no lights or AC. Now, in Louisiana, let me tell you this. I don't know a whole lot of people who want to move into that house, right? When you ain't got no AC or lights, right? When we ain't got no AC or lights in our house, we go somewhere else, right? Anybody do that? AC goes out for 10 minutes, like, going to the in-laws, right? Going to my friend's house. I ain't staying in this house. It's too hot. So the structure can be there. You can have all the furnishings in the house. It can look all good to go, but it's not ready. And the same thing is with the tabernacle. They got all the stuff there. The Ark of the Covenant is there. The structure is in place. It looks like a fully furnished building. But guess what? There's one thing that's missing. The most important thing and vital thing that makes the tabernacle make sense. And guess what? That's God's presence there. Filling. The tabernacle has to be filled for it to be ready to be used. And this is what happens. God's indwelling presence symbolize the hovering of the cloud. So the cloud comes over and it signals the finality of their building project. It's the final touch. It's the cherry on top where the cloud comes over and hovers over their tabernacle. And if you understand where we've seen the cloud before, we've seen the cloud on the mountain. That's where God dwells with his people at that point up until the tabernacle. So the cloud has moved from the mountain now to the tabernacle. And they're going to keep following this cloud. And the cloud's going to move not just from the mountain to the tabernacle, it's going to move to the next structure. The what? The temple. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 10 and 11, the finishing of the temple is when the cloud of glory of God's presence hovers over the temple. And then guess what? It'll be finally fulfilled in the future when the cloud hovers over Jesus Christ at the Mount of Transfiguration. There's a cloud there too. And then interestingly, in Revelation 15, I want to read this verse to you. Is that even in the future, there will be a cloud that signals God's presence in the end. Revelation 15, verse 8. And the sanctuary was filled with the smoke of the glory of God and from His power, and no one could enter the sanctuary. Similarly to Moses here, right? The glory of God fills the tabernacle. He's not able to enter it. So this glory will, this glory cloud will find itself all throughout the Scriptures. But this is where God's presence dwells. And God's indwelling presence is what makes the tabernacle significant. Because without the glory filled, the glory cloud hovering over the tabernacle, it really is just a bunch of cool stuff, right? It's just a big tent with nice stuff. That's all that it is. Without God's presence dwelling in the tabernacle, that's all it is. It's a big tent with nice stuff, right? You know, I, I was thinking about it this past week. You know, when people go to Los Angeles or things like that and they take these celebrity house tours, I, I'll just tell you this, that would not interest me the one bit. Uh, but people take these celebrity tours on these big buses and they want to go see uh, celebrity houses, right? So they drive around Los Angeles and they see this big house. Oh, this is where this person lives. This is where this person lives. This is where the... And people are taking measures. Oh, wow, that's where... That's where they live. Oh, I love their movie. Oh, that's where that NBA player lives. Right? They're amazed, not by the house itself, 
but by the person who lives in that house. That's what makes that house significant to them, is it not? If it was just a random house, I'm sure they wouldn't get on that celebrity bus tour. Hey, you want to go see nice houses? Houses that you don't live in? Right? Oh yeah, I'd love to see a nice house I'd never be able to afford. Right? No. They go there because they want to see the celebrity that they envy so much, what they live in. And that's the point of the tabernacle. The tabernacle is just a big tent with nice stuff if God is not dwelling in there. Makes no sense, right? And this is what the Pharisees got wrong in the New Testament, right? When they think, well, it's just about the, the temple and the stuff in the temple, that's why they can say, Jesus basically condemns them, says, if anyone swears by the temple, you say this, Pharisees, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, well, that's a problem. If anyone swears by the altar of the temple, huh, no big deal. But if you swear by the gift on the altar, oh, you better not do that. And then Jesus says, shouldn't you be more concerned with who dwells in the temple? Shouldn't you be more concerned who the temple is to represent? Right? That it's about God's throne. It's about where God dwells among His people. Chance actually brought this up to me this week. I thought it was a, a great insight that I think it was good to share with you. But this is why it's so significant in Ezekiel 10, 18, when the glory of God's presence leaves the temple. It says it departs. Why is that significant? Why is that significant to Israel? Because they know. If the glory of God is not with us in the temple, who cares how big and nice this thing is? And let me just tell you this. Here's the application for us, church. It doesn't matter how big a building we build here. It doesn't matter how nice we deck this thing out. It doesn't matter if we finish this section or we add another section. It doesn't matter. If God's glory is not indwelling the people of God, we're not worshiping Jesus Christ, we can build the most magnificent building in the world, and it does not matter. We could build the Taj Mahal. Guess what? The Taj Mahal is just a building because the glory of God does not dwell there. Church, it's about the people of God who are indwelt by the Spirit of God, who are worshiping the Son of God through the Word of God. That's what matters. So look, church, I think we know this. We can worship in a bubble. We can worship in a building. We could worship under a tree. I've, I've seen all three. And guess what? The glory of God dwells there if the people of God are there with the Spirit of God dwelling in them. Let's not get up on buildings and construction. The most important thing is that God's presence is with His people. And the presence of God through the cloud doesn't just signal finality. The presence of the glory cloud also gives direction to Israel. That's where he says when the, when the cloud moves, the people move, right? Numbers 9, 15 through 22 will say this. When the cloud moved, Israel moved. When the cloud stopped, Israel stopped. It was their lead and their guide throughout all their journeys, right? He was not just dwelling with them. He was leading and guiding them the whole time. That's what God does with his people, is it not? That he doesn't just indwell us by his Holy Spirit, that he guides us through his Holy Spirit. He guides us. He's not left you alone, Christian. He's not left you on your own. This is Jesus' words to his disciples in John 16. I've not left you as orphans, right? I've given you a helper to help you along the way. 
Thankfully, we don't need a tabernacle or a temple. We have Christ Himself who is our, our new tabernacle, a new temple. That's what John 1.14 says. And the Word became flesh. And anybody know the next word? Dwelt among us. You know the word for dwell is? Is to pitch tent. To pitch tent. He is the new tabernacle where the glory of God dwells. Colossians 1.19, for in him all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. Colossians 2.9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Christ is the new temple, the new tabernacle. We don't need physical constructions. We have Christ. And that Christ in us makes us the new temple. This is what Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 6.16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of Of the living God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Church, we are the temple of the living God. This is where God's Spirit dwells. And that just as God did for His people in Exodus, so God dwells in us and leads us and guides us in all of our journeys. Praise God for that, that He has not left us alone, John 14, 26, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. John 16, 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. Praise God that we have God's Spirit. You are not alone. You are not on your own. God has given you everything that you need to follow and obey Him. Just as Acts 1, 8 said this morning, but you will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in all Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Church, listen. Our mission here at Crosspoint Baptist Church is to make disciples of all nations for the good of all people and for the glory of God. Guess what? What we need in order to accomplish that, we have been given by God through Christ Jesus in His Spirit. We've been given that. So let's be dependent on Him. Let's be dependent upon the Spirit for all things. This is the story of the tabernacle. God's glory dwelling with His people and leading His people all the way. This is the story of Exodus. The story of Exodus is is all of our story in Christ Jesus. That you, me, we were in bondage, in slavery, not to Egypt, but to sin, death, and hell, and Satan. It's what we were. We were in bondage and we could not break the shackles off on our own. But just as God sent Moses a mediator and savior and rescuer, God also sent his only son who was a mediator, savior and rescuer to rescue us from the bondage of sin and slavery that we were bound to. And that Jesus redeemed us through his own life and blood, dying on the cross to pay our penalty of sin, what we had done in this body, evil. And that not only does God save us through His Son, Jesus Christ, but He also gives us His presence, not through a tabernacle, but through His Spirit that He gives us. And that God, despite our rebellion and our sin, God keeps us and keeps going with us. Even though we commit Exodus 32 every single day, God stays with us because He is a God of covenant faithfulness and love and loyalty to His people. He does not give up on us, church. 
This is who he is. And that God, by his presence, through the work of his son, Jesus Christ, is bringing us somewhere to the promised land, to the new heavens and new earth, where there will be no tear, no sorrow, no mourning. I hope we've seen through this study of Exodus that it's not just Israel's story. It's all of our stories in Christ. Let me pray for us. God, we love you and we thank you that the story of Exodus is our story. A people redeemed out of their bondage to slavery and sin and dwelt by the Spirit bringing us to the final hope. God, I pray that we would do inspection right now, even before we take the Lord's Supper, examine ourselves, test ourselves to see that we are in the faith. God, I pray, Lord, we want to be ready for the final inspection that you will give us. It's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.